Well, it is a, honestly a, a real privilege to be able to be here again, uh, sharing from God's Word. Um, anytime you have the opportunity to do that, it's a big deal. And then when you get to preach and share what God has said in His Word with, with people that you, that you love and that you like, right, at the same time. How many of you know there, there can be a difference? There's people that you can love, we're probably going to see... A lot of them, Thanksgiving time, but you can only handle in small doses, right? I don't know if you like them that much, but you love them. But I love and like you all, and, and I know that, uh, that that's a common uh, feeling that we have here at our church. And so it just is, it's special uh, to be able to, to do this. Uh, we pray for you daily. We, when I say we, it's Naomi and I, and, and also all of your pastors and pastors' wives and deacons and teachers and so forth. We pray for you. And we care about you. And so if there's anything that you do need, please always let us know. I also want to mention this. I want to thank everybody that's been working on the parking lot. That is like way big. Like we're going to be able to really put that to good use. So I'll probably forget people. Jeremy Newman, Matt Atzma, Nelson. I know that Jeremy and Krista have been making it look so beautiful, putting up all the trees and stuff and building that, what do you call it, a hill? I don't know. It's like a hill to me. Is there a word for that thing? A mound? Is that what I heard? Anyway, looks awesome. So thank you all for, for doing that. We're going to be in Psalm 34 this week. And we're going to be preaching kind of on the theme. I don't know, is it up there? Praise God in the midst of chaos. And what's interesting, and I didn't realize it was gonna, that that term chaos was going to be in the songs uh, that we were singing here this morning as well, but as what we'll see here as we go through Psalm 34, and Pastor Michael was so excited that we're going to be in Psalm 34, he put an exclamation mark there. Do you see that? Isn't that wonderful? But we're able to praise God. I want to mention this. We, the, the reason we're able to praise God, and we're going to see that here in our passage, in the midst of chaos, is that there actually is no such thing truly as chaos. We, it's a euphemism, and, and you actually read that word sometimes in the Bible, but the concept of chaos is that there's nothing governing anything, that everything is just going bonkers for the sake of bonkering, is that a word, whatever, it's just everything is, there's just no rhyme or reason. Now, if that was actually possible, you, not only could you not praise God, you could never meet God because there would be no God. Because we have God who's sovereign and rules, there's no true chaos. It just seems like it sometimes. That's the struggle. So let's start in Psalm 34. We're going to read and then we'll pray and then we'll begin to unpack I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who uh, look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. 
this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray. Again, Lord Jesus, we exalt your name. We lift up your name. Your name is good. Your name is holy. Your name is righteous. Your name is power. Who do we have to go to besides you? And so like the psalmist here, we want to bless your name. We want to exalt your name. It's the name above all names. Again, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and they can't sing songs like this, they can't pray like this, they, they, haven't, they don't feel this, I pray through the power and the conviction of your Holy Spirit coming upon them that they come to faith and trust in him for salvation. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just on the surface, as you just read this psalm, you, you can immediately begin to feel raptured up, right? This is poetic. This is beautiful. This is, there's, you feel, one thing that you notice in the Bible, especially in the psalms, sometimes you pick up on some angst, some, some tension, some uh, stress in, in what's going on. Like I'm praising God and I'm, it's just exploding out of me. And you can read that here. You feel that passion. You feel that, uh, yeah, that, that angst in his heart. And so you could just read it and be inspired by it. You can read it and pick up a lot of good perspective out of it. And that's very good. One thing that I always encourage 
anytime you read any portion of the Scripture is for you to understand the context into which it's written. Okay, somebody wrote this. There was an original audience. There was a, there was a, a, a historical, um, almost like a common sense, like that the people that were originally reading this would have understood and picked up on. There were colloquialisms and euphemisms and imagery and all of that. So when we tell people to study the Bible, we're, we're referring really to that, to get to that point where you're, I think sometimes people think that what we do is we read it, and then it's like we've got some special connection with God. We're like, uh, and like God just like starts talking to us, right, on how to interpret this. And, uh, and, we, you know, and it's like, well, I don't, I don't, I've never had that happen, but like the pastor's you know, I mean, they spend a lot of time in prayer, so God's probably talking to them and telling them, and, and they're smart and this and that, so they can understand what's going on here. That has never happened. That would save all kinds of time, though, if the Lord, if we could just read it and, like, just start picking up on all of this insight. No. You got to, when we say study, we're reading it, obviously, right? It's where you start. But then you start studying and understanding the context of who was writing this. David was writing this, or had just written this, coming through the most mind-boggling misadventure, I don't know what you call it, and stressful time that you could even hardly imagine. He wrote this at a time that some of you may be in right now of... Deep anxiety, fear, at least in David's case, for good reason, stress, hurt, confusion, not knowing what is going on. Like, God, what, what, what is happening here? None of this makes any sense. And what's going to hit me next? What, what is, this isn't right. I didn't do anything to trigger this. And if I did, like, you would think the reaction or the result would be like a two, but I'm getting hammered with an eight or nine or ten. It's like, okay. Some of you, listen, we come to church and everyone's real nice. Everyone's like, hey, good morning. Good morning. Everybody's happy, happy, happy. And we, we do that, right? Because we don't want to be weird. We don't want to be the Debbie Downer. We don't want to, you know. But so, listen, we the pastors know. We always end up knowing, usually. Well, that's a real problem if you're dealing with something and the pastors don't know about it. That is, do not do that. That's why we're here. Some of us come into the house of God burdened and heavy laden from real life issues. This isn't like drama in our head. That's what David was dealing with. So you have to, and we're going to talk, I'm going to show you where, he, where in the Bible that this is referred to. But when we're reading that Psalm 34, that's where he's coming from. He's not on top of the mountain when he's writing this. He had just been humiliated deeply 
and almost, who knows what, killed, tortured? This is a parallel, and we're not, we got so much on our dish here, I don't know if we're going to be able to eat it all this morning or not, so I'm not going to dive into the other passage here. But the parallel here is when David is on the run from Saul, and he flees to Gath. Do you guys notice at the top of chapter 34 in Psalm, you see where it says of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech? So that he drove him out and he went away. Okay, that's in that's in First Samuel chapter twenty one. David is David had already been anointed to be king by Samuel. David had already faced down Goliath. And killed him. Sometimes we read about that account, and we kind of think of it as like David versus Goliath, almost like his kind of like if da- like Goliath was David's bully. N- no, not really. Goliath was standing there defying Almighty God, the King of Israel, uh, Saul. And the whole armies of God, the whole armies of Israel. And this was a major problem. Remember, Goliath would come out day after day after day, blaspheme God, curse the the Jewish people, mock them, humiliate them. And David came out and was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine defying, defying God? What are you guys doing? And so David goes out there and kills him, cuts his head off. This is like, some of you think of David as this really nice guy. Is David singing songs? It's like, you know, he's a killer. So he kills Goliath, cuts his head off. It says that David, when he went out there, he took four smooth stones with him to do that. He didn't try to miss a couple times. Goliath had brothers, so he had like one for each of them. The people are delivered now from this humiliating issue, and the people begin to sing and to dance, saying, you know, Saul's killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. David is great. David is mighty. David is anointed. Indeed, he was. There's evidence of it, right? He's killed Goliath now. And then everything starts going bonkers. And he is on the run now because Saul recognizes that David's more popular than he is, that the people are clamoring for him, not Saul. And he's chasing David all over the place. And so David decides, I need to get out of here. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, he decides to run to Gath, which is a Philistine town. David is thinking in his head, I think, that it's almost like I'm going to go where they don't expect me to be. 
because this is extremely dangerous to do this. He runs to Gath, which was Goliath's hometown. So he's surrounded by enemies. And in his mind, he's thinking, if I'm in Gath, Saul's not going to send armies into Gath to come get me, because that would cause World War III. But if these Philistines figure out who I am, I'm either dead or I'm a hostage. And they're going to hold me hostage because the people of Israel love me. But I don't know where else to go. So, verse 10, 1 Samuel chapter 21. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him and dance as Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and made marks on the doors of the gates and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I, do I, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? So David knows that if they figure out who he is, they may kill him or take him hostage Send word back to Israel, guess who we have? Guess whose fingers we're going to start sending to you if you don't start backing off of our land? Guess what we're going to do to him? I mean, God, you know, the closest equivalent of these people in our day would be like ISIS. Same mindset. No fear of God, demon-possessed, terrible, brutal, don't care. And so David's plan has backfired on him. And the only way he's going to get out of this, in his mind, is to humiliate himself, this one who's been anointed king, this one who's had him singing and dancing his name. You, This would be embarrassing now. But you go back into their day, this is humiliating. He's got to act like a dog. He's got to have spit coming out of his mouth, like he's foaming at the mouth, like there's something deeply deranged about him. So that way they'll look at him and they'll say, I don't know, he looks like David, but this, this, guy, is, this guy is a buffoon. This guy is a dog. The king even looked at him and said, why are you bringing this idiot to me? Don't I have enough idiots? You know, I don't need another one. This little ruse worked, but how humiliating. This is not a champion. This is not, some, this is not something you do. It's something, I'm sure he would almost kind of rather that not be in the Bible, that he had to act like that. And now he's on the run again. He doesn't have anywhere else to go. This, this almost turned into like his head on a spike. And so he runs. <laughs> 
That's the context of Psalm 34. We have things in life and ways in which we think things are going to go. Things ought to go. Two plus two is four. I've done these things, and it does. this is not working. God, what is happening? And it hurts. This is the response that David had under the unction of the Holy Spirit. I will bless the Lord at all times. Saul's bad. God's not bad. I am not all-knowing and all-wise. I don't know where this is going, but God does. I'm not God. I can't judge this. And I don't have any rights to make to, and demand upon God. It hurts, but I will bless the Lord even when it hurts. God has been good to me and given me far more than I ever deserved. And yes, this hurts. I'm not denying it hurts. Yes, I'm confused. Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm whatever. I will bless the Lord at all times. And praise shall continually be in my mouth. The heart cry of the people of God. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Remember? He doesn't have much more to boast of. He's acting like a dog foaming at the mouth in front of a bunch of uncircumcised pagan Philistines. Like this is beyond humiliating. And he did it to save his life. Where's the honor in that, David? Real tough now. My soul will boast in the Lord. He found out there's nothing else to, he can boast in, I guess. Let the humble hear and be glad. You boast in the Lord. God is great. God is strong. God is powerful. We're the humble ones. Boasting in the Lord makes our heart glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Do you believe that? I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Well, it's gone now. But the, we praise God in the midst of chaos when we realize there's actually no such thing as chaos. Do you trust God? You say, why are you guys so Calvinistic? And why do you guys always talk about the sovereignty of God? It's like, okay, we get it. Do you get it? God is God. And nothing, I mean, there's not a leaf that falls out of one of those trees that he has not ordained to fall from one of those trees in eternity past. See, I don't understand it. I don't either. But the alternative scares me to death. And that means that he looks down and goes, whoa, I, I, I didn't know that was going to fall. What do you mean, God, you didn't know that was going to fall? I kind of need you to know that stuff. 
Because if you don't know this little stuff, then what do you know about this big stuff? No. He's so big. He's so powerful. He's under control. And I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what this is going to lead to. I've encouraged you with this before. Our suffering sometimes, we may not see the fruit of why we went through that in our lifetime. But it may have caused us to move somewhere, literally, to another town. And our kids met someone there, right, that, that ends up doing something when we're 60 years old and they're 40 years old. We're long dead. And before we know, it's like two or three generations that because of that move resulted in X, Y, and Z to the glory of God. Like, are we, are we, is that okay with us? For him to be that sovereign and for all of it not to be about us? Would you suffer for your great-great-grandchild to come to Jesus? Some kid you're never going to meet or know? I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. That's the power of the gospel. I look to, uh, I'm sorry, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. He was foaming at the mouth last week. He wrote this. Those who look to him are radiant. There's a peace, an assurance in the midst of the storm to those who trust the gospel, who know the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay and atone for the sins of his people and to restore them and to adopt them into his family and to promise to prepare a place for them. And to come again to receive him unto himself. Believe that. Like, you can believe it. It's okay, okay, I believe that. Da-da-da-da-da, I'm just going to live my life. No, no. And then you believe that. Like, that gets in your face and it consumes you. Those that believe that, those who are his, there's a radiance there. Those who look to him. Notice verse 6. This poor man cried, me, me, this poor man, this one that they're saying David killed ten thousands, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. You believe that? How many of you have seen that happen? I have. And then I doubt him this time though, right? Oh, he's only saved me the last 25 times, but this time I don't know how it's all going to work out. Right? We've got to be encouraged here, right? The Lord has always been there for us. He's always saved us. He has never promised to keep us from troubles. We're not in heaven yet, right? That's called heaven. We're not there. But he does deliver and he does save. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's your call. If you don't know Jesus, listen. You don't understand what we're talking about this morning because you think things are chaos and none of it means nothing anyway, and you're wrong. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Bless, and everyone that's done that says, oh, yeah, the Lord's good. I need to taste more, but what I've tasted is very, very good. <laughs> Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him have no lack. 
The young lions suffer want and hunger. Think about that. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Think about the imagery there. What is the most powerful? I love lions. I love any kind of manifestation of power. Like I was like a little kid who saw the big digger trucks and was like, huh, oh man. Like I just, I, I don't know if that's a masculine thing. I don't know what it is, but like I like silverback gorillas that can like rip things' heads off. I like lions. They're po- I love horses. Ever get up on a big, one of the big Clydesdale, huge horses, and they just ripple with muscle and power. I love it. Lions are like that. But look at the, the contrast he's making here. The young lions, the young ones, the ones that are full of vigor, they're, they're, they're young lions. Those things suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You believe that? It's hard to believe when you think you're God and you're going to set the agenda. And then the things don't go according to your agenda, and you're like, well, this sucks. It's like, what? Well, time out here. You're not defining these things. And you're just going to keep banging your head on the wall until you say, it is well with my soul, Lord, you are God. And I'm going to be what, what you say I am, and that's what I want anyway. It's like, let go of that. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And he defines what's good. And when you have it come into your life, you begin to recognize it as such. That even a hardship, if it brings glory to Jesus, if I can point people to Jesus through this disability, if I can can encourage somebody in the gospel because of what he's doing in my life in the midst of this, then that's a good thing. Because this life is short. I'm going to be in heaven soon. This is like just a small little vapor of time. If I could point to people to Jesus, you see how that's how we start to think. It's not about me and being cool, me and being happy, me being uh, satisfied and everything that they offer. It's just a bunch of empty bull. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David, by the way, is still kind of young here, right? This concept of chill is like, a, like I'm the teacher. Come on. Everybody sit around here. I'm going to teach you something, he says. He wasn't even king yet. I mean, sitting on the throne yet. What's the first thing? I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Number one. That's number one. That's the number one lesson. That's how you get here. That's how you get here, living with this kind of peace in the midst of all this unbelievable bonkers nonsense. I'm like on the run. Fear the Lord. That's how you stare this stuff down, by the way. You fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may say good? All of us need to raise our hand on that. It's a rhetorical. Desire life. You know, they promise you out there the good life. They'll define it for you. It's all this. Just watch the commercials. That's really living. Some of us have been there. We've done that. We've been on the vacation. We did this. We did this. We've been, we've had the hookups. We've partied. We've been to the clubs. We've made money. It's not all been like drudgery for us. 
and we've done it. It's like, I am miserable. In fact, I think I was more miserable before than when I started. That's, that's not it. So he asks this question. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Okay, that's us. Then keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. That's an interesting thing to pop off with first. Like, how are we talking? What, how, how sarcastic are we? How, how do, are we tearing everything down? Are we speaking life or are we speaking death? Are we speaking encouragement or discouragement? If you're always just this negative and it's evil or it's perverted or it's, it's evil... You're not going to see and experience life. He's making a direct one-to-one connection there. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. Some of us want to seek drama and want to seek conflict. And we're all worked up inside and we want to confront everything. Seek peace and pursue it. That's like an intentional decision you make. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Do you believe that? The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Some of you think God's up there like some kind of like cosmic Santa Claus. It's just happy, everybody. Just guys be nice and just love everybody. No. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If that's you, then you know that's true. You know it. It's not cool with you and God. You know it's not cool with you and God. Well, there's your clue. The face of the, back up, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, not the self-righteous. Right? Being righteous means having been made right with God. You're saved. The righteous, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. It's like, (laughs) when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's a promise. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You're not going to hear that in the modern trendy churches. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Hello, that's, that's called life. That's, rea- that's reality. See, I, don't, I want to hear and say, hey, positive, happy, happy. That's reality. Like, don't be shocked by it. Some of us are shocked by this. We watch the movies and say, oh, why can't my life be like that? And, oh, me, Mr. Wonderful, who, who just always does, makes everything happy for me and It's like, that's not life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So who gets the glory then when you're victorious? You or him? Him. See that? He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. That's a prophecy, by the way, fulfilled by Christ at his crucifixion. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous 
will be condemned. Okay? Some of you are feeling the heat of this right, right now. They're trying to force you to take a shot that's going to screw around with your DNA that God gave you, and you got real conviction about that. And it is so unfair. And we are with you as a church, by the way, and we will stand with you as best as we can because that is screwed up. That is screwed up, and it's not fair, and it makes us angry. You need to read that again. Affliction will slay the wicked. The day of judgment comes. Those who hate the righteous, those who hate those who've been made right, who are right, will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. Do you believe that? None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Do you believe that? That's how you praise God in the midst of chaos. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take re uh, refuge in him will be condemned. That's good news. That's very good news for you this morning. The question is not him. The question is not his goodness. The question is not his strength or his power or his ability to save or his willingness to save. Those who take refuge in him won't be condemned. So the question is you. Where are you seeking refuge in the chaos? I don't know what to tell you. Seek refuge in the Lord. He's your only hope. Let's go ahead and stand. I think we're going to sing another song here, right? This message is real. It's a promise, and it has never failed. Let's thank, let's repent. If we've been looking for refuge somewhere else, right? Jesus, forgive me for that. Really dumb. I'm coming to you now. I'm coming to you to seek refuge from this storm. Let's do that.